Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for financial advisors. Today's episode is Growing Up with Merrill Lynch, a next-gen breakaway story. It's a conversation with Lizzie Evans, managing partner of Evans May Wealth. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, and on advisorhub.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you are not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. And if you find the content in this series to be useful and know others who could benefit from it, please feel free to share it widely. The wirehouses have long served as the perfect environment for many young advisors to learn the ropes of the wealth management business. And it's not uncommon for young novice advisors to join the family business, plugging into what their parents built a solid living that provided a healthy lifestyle and often many perks that the entire family could enjoy. It's there that our guest story starts. Elizabeth, or Lizzie Evans' father, was a 45-year veteran at Merrill Lynch. She shares how Merrill was part of her entire childhood, attending events, going on company trips, essentially growing up with the firm. After college, she worked in the M&A and private equity world before joining her father's practice at Merrill, where she worked for seven and a half years with her father and now partner, Brooke May. Then the family feeling she always had for the firm started to disappear. The team was becoming more and more limited on what they could do to serve their clients and grow their business. And with her father having taken CTP, the firm's retire-in-place program, she found herself at a crossroads. Stay with the firm, consider a transition deal from another brokerage firm, or make the leap to independence. So along with Brooke and Lizzie's husband, Ian Flanagan, and team members from Merrill, they formed independent firm Evans May Wealth just over a year ago. In this episode, Lizzie shares her story with guest host Lewis Diamond. Together, they look back over her first year as a business owner and talk about what the real drivers behind their decision to leave Merrill, why they chose to go independent with Sanctuary Wealth, and what they think of independent business ownership. It's a candid conversation that many next-gen and senior advisors can relate to. I'm delighted to be joined today by Lizzie Evans, the managing partner of Evans May Wealth out of Indianapolis. Lizzie, thank you so much for joining us today. Lewis, thank you for having me as part of this podcast series. Very good. Let's get started. Uh, Let's jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I am the founding and managing partner of Evans May Wealth based in Indianapolis. We transitioned our business from Merrill Lynch in June of 2019, and prior to transitioning Evans May Wealth to an independent firm, I was a senior vice president at Merrill for seven and a half years, and right out of school, I worked in Chicago 
in M&A at KPMG and also worked for a private equity fund in Austin, Texas before moving back to Indianapolis, which is, has always been my home. Excellent. Very diverse background. And you had shared with me that your, your father was a 45-year veteran at Merrill. Um, and you had worked with him there for a couple of years before he ultimately retired. What were his feelings about you leaving Merrill? It couldn't have been an easy thing for him to hear. No, it certainly wasn't. I worked with my father for seven and a half years at Merrill, but he's been my father for 33 years. So we think a lot alike, both in terms of investment strategy in the business. And really, Merrill was part of my entire childhood. I still remember all of the Maryland trips and events that we attended as children. And so really the decision to leave was not one that Brooke and I took lightly. I can tell you what I've told him about the reasons why we left Merrill. And, you know, I think first and foremost, it really isn't Merrill anymore. You know, I think whether you've worked there for five years or 45 years, in my opinion, Bank of America really destroyed the entrepreneurial culture within the company. And as I look back on it, I don't think of leaving Merrill. I think Merrill changed and transformed into Bank of America well before we made the decision to leave. So, you know, that was really the most important reason. And secondly, I really believe my role as an advisor and the success of our business is driven by being a true fiduciary to our clients. So when my compensation is tied to how many mortgages I sell or how many banking products I offer, I just, it seems to me like something's broken. So ultimately we left really because we felt like as we look to the future of the business, really our priorities for the clients and for the business with how Bank of America had changed and where it was headed were aligned. So we try to always have a client first mentality and we really felt like you know our decision to leave was an outgrowth of the client first mentality that it really just was a transition at the bank but but still 45 years is a very long period of time when your father learned of your desire to leave was he flabbergasted was he excited for you was he sad what were his, what were his emotions like when he learned of this well, you know, Merrill was a wonderful company. And I think when he looks back on the last 45 years and when I look back for Merrill was the best of the best. Um, I have fond memories, as I mentioned, as a child going on recognition trips, we had bowls implanted on <laughs> or imprinted on blankets in our uh, family living room. We had a license plate on the front of the car. I think even there was a picture of me as a baby in a onesie with a Merrill bull on it. So, you know, I think, as I said, it, it was certainly wasn't an easy decision to leave. I think Merrill um, did an excellent job for a long period of time creating a culture of excellence and really a client first mentality. And they had the, the best and the brightest and an, a wonderful training program. So, you know, I think when I think about his career and when I think about the company that it was, I certainly have fond memories, but I think the business has transformed. And I think 
know, when you look out and you look at the trajectory of the future, we didn't feel like we could deliver a, a client first experience and really, from an investment standpoint, provide truly open investment architecture under the current platform. So, you know, I think that he certainly respected that decision. And, you know, I think that he unequivocally understands our rationale. That makes sense. And something we hear often is that we didn't leave Merrill, we left Bank of America. And maybe that's what he felt was if Merrill stayed exactly as it was, even probably back when you started seven and a half years ago, it's probably a different feeling. But just given the sense of incongruence that was clearly felt, it sounds like he was supportive because you're his next generation and he trusted you to do the right thing and drive the business forward. Right. That's very well said. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about the business today. So today you're the managing partner of Evans May Wealth. Tell us a little bit about your business. How many people are on the team? You mentioned a partner named Brooke. What's your value proposition to clients? How much in assets do you manage, et cetera? Yeah, so we are a team of eight. I have two partners, Brooke May, whom I've worked with since 2012, and my husband, Ian Flanagan, who was a managing director at KPMG in their advisory practice for 12 years before he joined our team in the transition to independence. So um, both Brooke and I are certified financial planners. She's been in the financial services industry since 2000 and worked with my father um, beginning in 2008, 2009. And she was previous to that at, at working, interestingly, at Schwab, where we custody all of our client assets at the present time. Um, Ian is a JD MBA and was working on multiple billion dollar private investments in the public infrastructure space and really knocking on the door of partner. And he saw the opportunity and really the endless possibilities that that come from owning and being able to grow your own business. So he took a leap of faith with us last summer and does a lot of our investment analytics, due diligence, investment structure, which now, particularly in the independent space, I think is really invaluable. So those are, you know, that that, uh, amongst the three of us, we're the partners. We have five support staff, all of which have varying roles and really specialized roles. Um, We are managing right now about 650 million. We work only with private wealthy families. So we've completely removed ourselves from retirement and institutional business. And our value proposition, if you will, is really to guide clients through the complexities of meaningful wealth with uncompromising honesty, trust, and the highest level of fiduciary care. So our team together has more than 75 years of collective experience, and we're really committed to delivering a world-class service experience and try As I think about our business, I really feel that we are defined by how well we serve our clients. So what's a little bit about a little bit different, I think, about our team or what I like to think is a competitive advantage is that I think right now research shows that the average age of financial advisors is 50 years old and, you know, many are contemplating their own retirement. So we are a well-established team 
an experienced team, but we have the longevity being that I'm 33, Ian's 38, Brooks 42, to tell our clients that not only will we plan for retirement, but we'll be there to see them through retirement. I have to ask more so out of personal curiosity, but what's it been like working with Ian, your husband? I have a similar dynamic, not with not with my wife, but Mindy and Howard Diamond, husband and wife also, my parents co-run the firm. And I'm always curious to understand that dynamic because I can see how it could work, but also how it might be a bit challenging at times. Honestly, um, for us, it's been really great. My parents and my in-laws were really worried about it. You know, everyone <laughs> made us have a backup plan if it started to influence our marriage. And the the reality is I met Ian working together at KPMG. And so we had a little bit of experience there. But I think especially when you're running your own business, the ability to manage different problems and come up with solutions together. It's not an eight to five job. So we've really had a lot of fun uh, working together. I think Ian has a very complimentary skill set to Brooke and I, and she was very supportive of incorporating Ian in the decision to leave KPMG, which he was very highly compensated and um, he was there for a long time. So it was certainly a leap of faith. I had some clients say, wow, you, you know, you're really going all in. Um, but we really believe in it. And I think, you know, the biggest thing we struggle with is just turning it off. We have a, a three-year-old and oftentimes, you know, we put him to bed and then we start working on work again. So sometimes it feels like all we do is work and and then family, but um, you know we're still learning that delicate balance. But over the last year, we've I, I really through the independent channel and just owning our own business, we're starting to have fun again, and that's been exciting. So we work a lot, but it's because we enjoy it. Very good. That sounds pretty ideal. So let's circle back to your decision to ultimately leave Merrill in 2019. I'm sure the process. Um, took form in maybe 2018, early 2019. But what were some of the things that you felt you needed to do for clients as their advocate and their consultant that you felt limited from doing while at Merrill? Well, gosh, if we think about what we were limited to do and then look at going forward, what we're able to do under the independent platform, I have so much more knowledge today than I did even a year ago. And we really started our due diligence process, as you mentioned, in 2018. So, you know, I think one of the big reasons was open investment architecture. So with open architecture, we now have better access to technology, products and services for our client. And really, there's virtually nothing that we can't help our clients solve in the financial services industry. So I think our ability to tailor sophisticated solutions for families and really provide conflict-free advice was ultimately the reason that we decided to leave. From an investment standpoint, There's a what we found in the independent channel is there are a lot of funds that have had unbelievable performance or investment managers that have had unbelievable performance with great risk metrics that don't have to participate in a big wirehouse pay-to-play model. And so 
we felt like we were becoming more and more limited on what we were able to do from an investment standpoint. And from a communication standpoint, I really think that clients are paying us to have an opinion and the ability to communicate with them in an open and honest forum and to be able to express why we're doing what we're doing is hugely important. And so we've been really excited to be able to communicate with our families in a much more frequent manner and through avenues that didn't exist before like video. So we've been doing a lot of video messaging, um, which is something that just wasn't even in the realm of possibilities before, especially, you know, when you think about this year in the market, when COVID hit, we were able to shoot a video and send it out within 24 hours, which really created a sense of assurance and peace of mind in a very, very volatile market environment. And the response that we've received from clients has been overwhelming. So I could give you countless examples of how we've transformed both our investment discipline, our communications with clients, our marketing, our prospecting as a result of things that we're able to do now that didn't exist before. And I think as I look at our growth, that's certainly reflective of of the endless opportunities within the independent channel. So you think the grass is going to be greener, but you don't really know. So (laughs) you're very hopeful that the open investment architecture and communications will be better, but you don't know until you're on the other side. And I can tell you now, one year later, we absolutely feel that it was the right decision for clients and the right decision for our business. And we're hearing that on a daily basis from clients. And it's certainly reflective in the number of referrals we've had from our existing families. Thank you for sharing that. Sounds like some very compelling reasons to take your business independent. How about the CTP agreement or the sunset agreement that you and your father entered into? It's obviously an extremely common and in many ways, a fantastic way for a first-generation advisor to pretty seamlessly transition the business to the next generation and get compensated for their life's work. Would you mind sharing your thoughts on the program and how you would counsel an advisor like your father who entered CTP, but also an advisor like yourself who stands to inherit a book of business? What were, from your standpoint, the merits and the drawbacks of such a structure? You know, from my perspective, I completely understand the the structure of CTP as you think about the the way CTP was structured at Merrill from the firm standpoint. But I think you know, if you if you put yourself in the shoes of the advisor close to entering CTP as well as the inheriting advisor, in both cases, it's really a decision to lock your business into Bank of America for the foreseeable future. So, you know, I think the retiring advisor needs to ask themselves, you know, take a hard look in the mirror and really ask themselves if they believe that Bank of America is the right platform for their clients for the future. And I think that the inheriting advisor needs to to recognize that they're buying a book and they're going to put in a tremendous (laughs) tremendous amount of work into something that they ultimately do not own. So, you know, from my standpoint and from our standpoint, as we looked out to the future, 
I don't think it's a sustainable model. You know, we really wanted optionality. And, and I say we, as I think about buying other practices, you know, we wanted optionality and the ability to structure deals from what made sense from first and foremost, a client standpoint and whether that was the right platform for them and from a business standpoint. And, you know, I think for the retiring advisor, the ability to sell your business and receive roughly identical multiples on fee-based and transaction-based business, but receive capital gains treatment versus ordinary income, that's a huge deal. So I don't think that, you know, the tax difference is something to be overlooked. Yeah. And, and something that you've, that you've mentioned is the fact that it's you as the inheriting advisor who's putting in the sweat equity and is, is really buying the book. And you're buying it for Merrill because at the end of the day, the firm views it as their book, it's their clients and they own it. So it seems like it's not necessarily a, a fair trade-off when you're the one who's putting in the blood, sweat and tears. And there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that go into it. So really to have a successful transition of a retiring advisor, it's, it's a very long process. So to put all of that time in to something you ultimately do not own. I just think it's something you have to consider very wisely. Were you concerned at all in transitioning really right on the heels of that CTP arrangement ending about client portability or how they would receive the fact that not only were you proposing a new business model, but also a transition away from your father to you and Brooke and Ian and the rest of the team? Of course, yes. We were, um, you know, very, very concerned about doing that. And, you know, I think that ultimately, once we had made that decision and we really felt like it was the right thing for clients, you have to do what you think is right. So, you know, for us to say, well, yes, I know this isn't the right place for clients, but we're going to stay here for another three years just to have a smoother transition. That's three years of your life, three years trying to build a team within that culture. And so I'm the type of person that when I make that decision, I, I'm, going, I'm going to do it. And so you know, we um, had a much better transition than I really ever could have dreamed. Um, I think that if you are always doing the right thing for clients, they, they see that. And certainly staying would have been the easier thing. And so, you know, I felt like we were told a good transition was to transition 70% of your revenue and to expect to do that within a one-year period of time. But I felt like, well, gosh, if I transition 50% of our revenue, I'm not afraid to, to go out and build the business. When I first started, I thought my dad would be really excited I was back. And he told me, Hey, look, if you can't bring in 10 million in the first year, if the firm doesn't fire you, I'll fire you. So, you know, I've always, that's kind of how I was brought into the business. And so I'm not afraid to, to rebuild. And I really felt like it was the right thing for clients. And, you know, quite frankly, I think assuming that a firm will stay in protocol, it could be a costly mistake. So that was always kind of in the back of our mind. Uh, Merrill may pull out a protocol. And if we feel like this is the right thing long-term for clients, there's no reason that we should just wait and hope that we'll have a better transition in a few years. So that was ultimately kind of our decision on timing. 
Got it. And let's let's move then to the actual due diligence process, the educational journey you took to not just learn about the independent space, which was probably pretty foreign to you, but also land where you did, which was ultimately to join the partnered independent platform of Sanctuary Wealth Partners. I'll ask you a bit about them, but a really popular refrain we hear from younger advisors, and certainly you at 33, Brooke at 44, Ian at at 38, definitely have an extremely long runway and certainly wouldn't be faulted for going to another similar type firm, getting a nine, 10-year recruitment deal, banking a bunch of the money, and then ultimately being young enough to go independent after the note was forgiven. Can you just walk us through your diligence process and whether that kind of notion or thought crept into your mind at all? You know, quite frankly, it really wasn't something that we considered. Um, We really were not after the biggest paycheck. We were looking at the business. We were looking at, like many advisors, I always do our one-year, five-year, 10-year business plan. And we were looking out on a 30-year runway and asking ourselves what the right thing was for our clients and what the right thing was for the business. And we really felt like independence was the answer. So I think that as I talk to other advisors, (laughs) I would encourage them, you should not underestimate the amount of work it takes to transition. It is a tremendous lift, not only for the advisors, for your support staff, but also for your clients. You know, I think clients see through multiple firm changes. And I really believe that ultimately they will ask, you know, is this really the right thing for me or is this the right thing for you? So for us, you know, our goal was to transition our business once and then be established for for really the next 30 years. So from a business perspective, going independent versus going to another wirehouse to get a big paycheck, going independent was truly about owning our own destiny. And, you know, for some that matters, for others, it might not. But, you know, I think if you want to own your own destiny, why risk it by going to another firm? If you have really the right business with the right platform, you're going to make money regardless. And I think to go through that twice and to put your clients through that, I think that you can really, over time, probably make more money by just going independent initially. And you are not beholden to you know what another firm may decide to do. If they pull out a protocol, then you're making a decision earlier than you making a decision to go independent earlier than you may have otherwise decided to. So I just think you're better off thinking about what you you believe long-term is the right thing for clients and for the business, and then making that decision now. Right. And ultimately, you decided to custody your assets with Charles Schwab, and you aligned with Sanctuary Wealth Partners, ran by a former boss of yours, Jim Dixon. Um, What else did you consider um, on your quest to be independent? So knowing that you wanted to be independent, were there other supported platforms you considered? Did you consider just figuring out on yourself and going directly to Schwab or what was that journey like? Yeah, we we absolutely looked at other options. We looked at um, Dynasty. We looked, we had quite a number of conversations with Raymond James, 
ultimately sanctuary was undeniably the right fit for us. Uh, you know, I think from our standpoint, going fully independent would have been a huge lift. I think, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And while our size would lend itself to being our own RIA, um, we really believed a fully independent model would dilute our client experience and investment discipline. And that just some, was something we weren't willing to sacrifice. So as you mentioned, I have known and worked with Jim Dixon, Sanctuary CEO. He was really a mentor to me while I was at Merrill. And you know, one thing I know about Jim is that he has a very clear vision and he is excellent at structuring incentives to achieve growth. So years ago, when I um, when we were at Merrill, he helped Brooke, my father and I, structure growth pools to incentivize growth. And amazingly, we were able to grow the business such that when my father entered CTP, he entered CTP in his best year ever and only owned 70% of the book. So if you think about the tremendous amount of growth Sanctuary's had in a short period of Time. I think now they've amassed $9 billion in assets. Jim is still very accessible. And I think that culture has trickled down from a leadership standpoint. So, you know, is everything absolutely perfect? No, it's never going to be. But what I can tell you is that at Sanctuary, advisors really come first, which is the complete opposite of what we were experiencing in the wirehouse. And there's been several suggestions that, you know, we were able to voice that have been rolled out firm-wide. And it, it's just the partnered independence, you know, that's a term that I, Jim told us about, but I didn't really know what that meant or, you know, that wasn't a phrase I was used to. And to me, you know, partnered independence, the, the best example from a culture standpoint, I can give you is when we were transitioning, I had a, a prospect who really wanted to meet that I had been working on and they wanted to meet at their vacation home in Michigan. They wanted to meet about three weeks after we had transitioned. So, you know, we're just drinking from a fire hose and but I want, you know, I want to get this family. However, for me to drive to this remote location in Michigan would have taken me 13 hours, which would have been 13 hours away from the transition. And so there was another advisor within Sanctuary who heard about this opportunity and offered me his private plane with a pilot. And so I was able to fly up there, close this $5 million prospect fly back. And, you know, that's just something that would have never existed at a wirehouse. It's it's just a culture where there's this really strange camaraderie amongst advisors. And there's no, you don't feel like another advisor is out to steal your business. <laughs> you really feel like you're in a partnership where everyone in, in some ways is in the same boat, rowing in the same direction, albeit with different styles, different business models. But I really feel like it is what I what I imagine the industry felt like back when my dad first started, of course, with more regulation. But you know, I finally feel like I can run our business and our book the way I went to. And I think that that really helps you grow exponentially faster. 
So for people listening, is it safe to assume for those affiliated with Sanctuary that the private jet is, is part of the deal? <laughs> well, you have to make friends with the right people, I guess. <laughs> So let's move on to now that you're independent. You mentioned a couple of the new things you can do, whether on the marketing side or the investment side. But now with coming up on a, on a year of hindsight, what are some of the more impactful things you can do for your high net worth clients now that you're independent? Well, I talked a little bit about the videos and the video messaging we've been doing, which has been a tremendous lift in our communication and our ability to have more frequent check-ins with clients. Just to give you another example, last fall, Brooke, Ian, and I went down. Um, we were we were vetting some alternatives for some of our ultra high net worth clients. So we went down to Miami to really check out a cutting edge venture capital shop down there and kick the tires. And while I was down there. I talked to another advisor who, after much conversation, gave us the opportunity to co-invest with one of his clients who was developing an island in the Bahamas. So I think that there's so many opportunities that come from access. And I think you're really limited in the access a wirehouse gives you. So once you get out there and see what else is out there, not only um, for your clients, but also for your business, you know, these aren't small fish. These are billion dollar families. And I think that opportunity and the ability to evaluate different businesses and then to, to be able to communicate to your clients why you believe what you believe is really powerful. So you know, that's one, you know, one small example of what we've been able to do for existing clients. For as we look forward to new clients in, in the future of the business, after one year of being independent, I was sitting in our living room and I just, I went onto my LinkedIn app and I had some photos from the last year of, uh, with the transition and just, you know, decided, oh, I'm going to put up a post on LinkedIn about how proud I am of our team and how grateful I am of our loyal clients just in reflection over the last year. So just, you know, it took me about five minutes, put up some pictures. And amazingly, I had over 22,000 views of that post. And I really think social media is, is a wave of the future. And I didn't really realize how handicapped we were not being able to do that in the past. But I think if you look at what can we do for clients now that we couldn't do before, the open investment architecture, the communications, the technology is a big upgrade. And going forward, we can really market and reach so many more people through technology that we weren't able to really have access to before. So we're just really excited about the future. We're really proud of where the business is today and, and really feel like we made the right decision. Definitely sounds that way. And some of the items that may be big benefits for you as the owner of the business, do you think your clients see it the same way? So having access to new and different investment managers or some of these interesting private investment opportunities or your video communications, do you think your clients are receiving the benefits as well? 
Oh, absolutely. I think that if you were to talk to our clients from a investment standpoint, there's a lot of advisors who, you know, there's a lot of commentary now about as an advisor, the primary thing that matters is the relationship, which is certainly important, but we've always been very focused on investments and investment due diligence. So for us, from an investment standpoint, the ability to access such a much wider universe of separately managed accounts and funds, there's, I mean, the performance differential, like I said, you don't know if the grass is greener, but now that we're a year into it, the we're really, really pleased with the performance of the portfolios. And I think clients would tell you they are very happy with that and the ability to, for we do a lot of our own investment homework and to also share with them, hey, this is how we came to the conclusion of incorporating this stock. For a long time, we used to be able to provide market commentary and that was completely removed. And we now are back to the basics where we can say, hey, by the way, last week we bought T. Rowe Price and this is why we like it and this is why we sold this. And clients really want to understand that logic. And so I think um, the investments and their performance certainly reflect that the open investment architecture is really meaningful. And then I think from a communication standpoint, the ability to communicate with clients and just provides a lot more frequent touches. And I think clients really like it because we can say, we did a quick video about, okay, with all the money that's being pumped in the market right now, should we worry about inflation and should we incorporate gold? And and it was just a quick video, but just to get our thoughts on that, I think allows us, especially with the market volatility we experienced this year, allows clients peace of mind to know that we're looking after their portfolios and we're making very thoughtful changes. First week of March, when we started to see the volatility in the market and really watching closely what was happening out of China, we placed restrictions across all the portfolios to move out of airlines, move out of cruise lines, move out of hotels. And we spent a lot of time going through the balance sheets of every company to make sure that the companies we were invested in and the funds we were invested in had sustainable business models and weren't heavy in debt. And so to be able to tell people, hey, this is what we did this week, that's hugely important because we weren't able to, by calling clients, you just can't have that frequent of communication by size of your practice. So I think from a client standpoint, they've been very pleased with the the transition. We chose Charles Schwab because we wanted clients to have the same um, big, you know, big company audited statements, audited tax reporting. We felt like Schwab had the best technology. And so I think clients have uh, you know, it took them a while to re-familiarize themselves with new statements and a new website, but they're they are really very positive about the whole experience. And every our team, everyone that was serving them at Merrill has is continues to serve them today. So we've seen a huge uptick in referrals, which I think just lends itself to for me to believe that that clients are happy under the independent model. And I think our team is certainly happier too and takes quite a bit of ownership in the business. And that's been really exciting to see. That's great to hear. Can you describe your transition experience and how much of your business transferred? You had mentioned being around $650 million in assets now. Was that 
around expectations for you of what a successful transition would look like? And do you believe overall your transition was a success? Absolutely. I mentioned earlier, you know, we we were coached that a good transition would be to retain 70% of our revenue and to expect to do that within a 12-month period of time. So um, we today, if I look at purely the assets, the revenue that was Merrill revenue, we're at a greater than 90% retention. And again, I'm really proud of the fact that the entire team that was with us at Merrill continues to serve our clients today. So amazingly, we're actually, our revenue, as I annualize our revenue one year later, is annualizing higher than where we were when we left Merrill. And the transition allowed us really an opportunity to cleanse our book. So we did have, from an asset standpoint, we did have more in assets while we were at Merrill, but those assets that stayed behind were assets that were really dead assets, for lack of a better word. They're families that we inherited over the years that were not fee-based, did not take our investment advice, but depended on our team to service their credit cards. And we, in the transition, recommended to them that it made more sense to stay with Merrill. So you know, the transition, from our standpoint, really allowed us the opportunity to establish the business and more importantly, the client base that we wanted to work with for the next several decades. Congratulations. That is a, it's no small feat to be annualizing at a higher revenue rate today, even just it's been less than a year since the transition than you were at Merrill. So that's, that's a job well done. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Definitely. And as an independent business owner, how has your lifestyle changed? Are you or your support team working much longer hours? Are you spending more time running the business or acting as an advisor? Because a lot of advisors' fear of going independent is that they're now going to be in charge of real estate and compliance and putting toner in the copier, and that the reason they're in business, which is to bring clients in, work with clients, handle investments, is now going to be an afterthought because they just don't have the bandwidth. What's been your experience so far? I think that was certainly a concern that we had, and that was really where Partnered Independence came in. So yes, we could absolutely be great business owners, but if I was also worried about compliance and making sure the financial planning software talked to our contact management system and we had proper performance reporting, that would really dilute our client experience and our investment discipline, which is really ultimately why we decided to partner with Sanctuary and be a hybrid versus going fully independent. So, Lewis, to answer your question, I'm certainly working longer hours, but it's not so much as a result of, as you mentioned, all the things that go with being a business owner, but I think more so we're working longer hours. And I think it's because we're truly, you know, having fun again. There was such a long period of time that I would get up every morning, drive into the office, and I felt like I was just fighting a huge behemoth on behalf of our clients. You know, almost times, sometimes I felt like I was just banging my head against a brick wall. And now we're working more, but we're doing that because we're enjoying it and because there's so many more opportunities in ways that you can create custom solutions for sophisticated wealth management needs, ways we can market our business that never existed before. We're always reviewing 
different technology, just reviewed a new technology to improve our tax efficiency. So, you know, the list goes on and on because there's so many more possibilities. So I think we work more, but it's not because I'm replacing the toner on my printer. It's because I'm excited thinking about what we can do for clients. And so we're in, in constant review of those opportunities. That's great. So it's completely based upon you. you. You're more empowered and more excited to work long hours because ultimately you get out what you put in. And it seems like it's the best policy. Exactly. Two more questions for you before we let you get on with your day. What would be your advice for an independent-minded advisor who's at a wirehouse who is a little bit challenged by the thought of running their own firm, even in a supported model? How would you counsel that individual? I really think that you should consider partnering with a team that has transition experience and the support staff to help you through. So I mentioned, I gave the example earlier of how Jim helped us structure a growth pool when we were at Merrill with my father. Now, if you grow your pie, whether it's through increased client retention or reduced support overhead or new business, partnering can really be a win-win. So, you know, I think there's a perception in our business not to trust anyone. And what I've learned is that we really live in a world of abundance and opportunity. In the independent space, there's no set handbook as to what a partnership has to look like. So if you really believe the right thing for your clients is going independent, it's worthwhile considering partnering with a team who's been in the trenches and, and really come out the other side on top. Because if you think about the difference between your revenue and your business valuation and a 60% retention rate and a 90% retention rate, I mean, the number is huge. So that would be my advice. Uh, that's a great point. And it's also the sometimes the thesis for why it makes sense to pay a supported platform like a sanctuary or a dynasty or any others in the space. It's a very expensive form of insurance because even if you transition three or 5% more of your business than you would have on your own. Over time, as things compound, as you look at selling your business, that decision will pay off in spades. Absolutely. One more question. It's how we wrap every podcast. But if you were giving advice to an advisor listening or a team that's considering independence right now, what would be your piece of parting wisdom or advice? In short, I would say run, don't walk. You know, there's never a good time. There's never an easy time. We have a young family every year. Life gets busier. And I can promise you that going independent, you will not regret your decision. I think every single guest we've had has had similar advice. And there, there's a reason why people don't really go back the other way and people stay independent. So I'm really happy to hear that it's been a really great experience for you. It's now a full family business. Maybe one day your, <laughs> your three-year-old will join you and you'll suddenly be the one who's been at one firm for 45 years. Well, thank you, Lewis, for having me on and for the opportunity to, to, to share our experience. Very good. Really appreciate it, Lizzie. Best of luck to you. Thank you. Lizzie shared, their decision to leave was driven by a desire to be a true fiduciary to their clients. And as Merrill changed, this became harder and harder. Today, 
The Evans May Wealth Team feels more empowered and unencumbered by a larger corporate agenda and are looking forward to building their firm over the years to come. I thank you for listening. And I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration requires. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002 or by cell at 973-476-8578 or by email mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. And a special thanks to advisorhub.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence. Independence.